Good morning. As we look towards our Advent moment this this morning, Matt says I get to share, since you get to hear him the rest of the day. Um, Today as we take this moment, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we're focusing on um, another gift that God gives us, and that is of peace. What comes, what comes to your mind when I say peace? Um, walking on the beach, holding a sleeping baby. I said sleeping baby. Um, that's for me. Um, peace on earth, you hear that a lot right now. Um, peace is described as freedom from disturbance, quiet, tranquility. That's the kind of peace that I usually look for when I go hide out in the bathroom and I just say, I need some peace and quiet. But there's so many meanings of peace. It's described as uh, freedom from attack, freedom from war, chaos. We don't have a lot of that right now in our world. Um, A sense of order, a sense of rest, of contentment. What's the opposite of peace? War, unrest, anxiety, Houston traffic. Um, For me, going to the mall at Christmas time that's the opposite of peace. That video that he sh- we showed was great. All the crazy things that happened during this time. Um, peace is a word that we hear a lot at Christmas time. We sing about it in so many songs. It's one of the things that we hope for as Christians. And uh, as the kids sang today, when the angels declared to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. They were declaring God's desire for that harmonious relationship with us um, that we once had with him. Since the fall of man in the garden, God has always been seeking to bring us back into that right relationship with him. He set into motion so many thousands of years ago his plan to bring us the peace, Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah foretold of Christ's coming, and he called him, among many other things, the Prince of Peace. And Christ Jesus did bring that peace as a baby when he first came to us, but he will bring us everlasting peace when he comes again. And I I was thinking about it. There's a difference between um, feeling peace and knowing peace. And we can't truly know peace if we don't know Christ. Um, And then he wants us to feel that peace in our lives. We can feel that only when we remember that God is in control of everything and uh, that his ways are so much higher than our ways. And when we don't understand what's going on in our life and we feel that chaos and that confusion, the anxiety creeping in, um, we can only know the peace if we know him. Um, This last year, 2014, has been an interesting one for our family, as many of you know. when I think back to where we were last year at Christmas time, we were there. Things were uncertain. We didn't know exactly what God had planned for us. We didn't know if it would be here at Houston first. Um, our former pastor Jeffrey Johnson um, resigned a year and a half ago. And for some of you that are new or may not know that, but Matt's been here as the youth pastor for, for five years. And you know, thinking to this time last year, we wanted to enjoy it because we just didn't know how long we would have with y'all. And then the spring came and some things um, started to happen and and we really started thinking we need to probably be preparing ourselves and looking um, you know for another position and it felt like that's where God might be leading us and 
<clears throat> that was hard because we love you guys so much. And you've been our home and our kids, you know, Noah's family. He doesn't remember growing up or being um, born in Florida very much anymore. And so we didn't want to pull him out of school and we wanted, we wanted things to just stay the same and we wanted that peace here. But, you know, it's amazing what happens when you pray to God and you release that to him. And we, say, we had to say, God, whatever it is that you would have for us, even though we think that we know, we know through so many times in our lives that you know what's best. And the verse in um, Philippians 4, 7, when you pray and it says, the peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's so true. And God has brought us um, to that point. We, we didn't know that we were going to stay here, but we definitely felt God's peace about it before we knew the answer. And I just pray right now that this Christmas um, that you would, first of all, know God's peace and that you would find his peace um, through, like I said, through um, just trusting in him and knowing that his ways for your life, whatever you're going through um, this Christmas, that you would just know his peace. So today we light this peace candle to remind us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and that through him, peace is found. We light it knowing full well that peace is elusive and that in many parts of our world, it's almost completely absent. But this Advent season, we trust that God is never absent from us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And even where there is war and discord, whether between countries, within your own family, or within your heart, God can be present, gently leading us back to him. Thank you. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for that peace. Thank you for, God, the peace that we can have in knowing you, Lord. Thank you for the peace in our hearts, God, that comes in knowing you, Lord. And we look around our world, we do. We see the chaos. We see war. We see rumors of war. And God, there's so much temptation to just take our eyes off of you and that peace, Lord. And God, I pray for every family represented here today, God. Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would intervene, Lord, where there is chaos, Lord, that you would bring love and peace, God. Lord, I think about my brother and sister Geraldo and Gloria today, God, who are going through the loss of a loved one. Pray for uh, just Gloria's family in Brazil as they are mourning Gloria's mom and uh, we're not being able to be there. Um, Lord, we just pray that you, God, would would wrap your arms of love around that family today. God, we love them so much. Our hearts are hurting today for them. And God, I pray that you uh, would somehow um, transport them in the next few days, that they can have time with family uh, via technology. Lord, somehow that the, the grieving process, God, that, that you would be a part of that here so far away, Lord. God, we pray for families as they gather around uh, trees and around dinner tables, God. We pray that your peace would intervene, Lord, God. We pray for every situation that's on our heart and our mind, that, that chaos would try to, to, to destroy the good things that you've brought us, Lord. And God, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord, during this season. God, we love you and we lift these things up in your name. Amen. 
my mom is a traditionalist. She is always starting, trying to start traditions in our family. Uh, a couple of years ago, a famous story in our house is that she wanted so badly to have this like special Christmas moment. And uh, so we decided to take all the Christmas cards that our family had received that year and we divided them up and we were going to pray for every family that gave us a Christmas card that year. Yeah, and just think about it, when you just take several families and you pull out, it's a, it's a long process there. And so we're having like this deep spiritual moment and trying to really pray for every name on the card, you know. And uh, we didn't know that while this was happening, this super spiritual Christmas Eve moment was happening, my dog Peyton uh, was going and eating like a whole, basically a whole bag of marshmallows uh, in the other room. And so as we're, you know, praying with our eyes closed, of course, and uh, Peyton uh, makes his way in the middle of the room and blah, marshmallows everywhere. I mean, and it just turned into this color that's unthinkable. And the smell, oh, the smell. And uh, so they pretty much ruined that tradition. Uh, we, didn't, uh, we didn't follow up that, uh, that the year the next year. But uh, one tradition that has stayed true in our family is, and I don't know why, I don't know how it started, but every Thanksgiving or Christmas that we're together, we go to the movies. That's, that's our thing. I, we're Nazarenes, we're born now, I know, I know, but we love the movies. I grew up in a movie-watching family. That's probably why I, I use so many movie things when we're, we're, we're talking. But we always go to the movies. It's usually that night kind of thing, and, and, and we, we, we need to, to settle something this morning. There was a... Uh, a little tournament that I saw of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. There were like 64 of them. And I've basically broken it down to four, okay? We're going to have to try to decide which is the best Christmas movie of all time. And these are the four I believe it's down to. Elf, okay? Elf, we have, uh, we'll, we'll show the pictures and then you got a chance to vote there. I, uh, I don't know if there's any elf fans here, but uh, A Christmas Story and Home Alone is in there. A home, let's see, Home Alone is definitely up there. A Christmas Story, which I'm sure TBS will do a marathon of that. Wow. And then we have It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. I confession, I have never seen It's a Wonderful Life. I know, I know. I know, it's because I'm not as old as you, if you're saying that right now. <laughs> but this year, this year is going to be the year that I'm going to watch it. All right, so we'll start, we'll go by applause. Is Elf, Santa, I know him! Is that the best movie of Christmas? What about Home Alone? I heard that, that scream and vote. Uh, what about uh, A Christmas Story? A lot of fans of leg lamps and It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. I'm going to have to give it to It's a Wonderful Life. I'm going to have to watch it. Best movie ever? Best movie ever. What year did that come out? There's a little random quiz question. I think it was... 46 or 47, Google it, okay? What, 46? 46, she has a copy in her hand. Wow, that's, we'll be watching it, definitely. 
But you know what? If, if you're going to write a movie, you know, the best kind of movies, we know this because we have Netflix now, is the ones that start well. You have to start well. If you don't start well, bam, I'm turning it, okay? If you start a book and you're like, man, this is a drag, you're going to go to something else. So starting well, you know, we know there's some, some great movies that have started well. Raiders of the Lost Ark, I don't know if there's a better starting there. I mean, remember the scene where he takes the bag and he, he's got the gold uh, statue and he has to switch it and then suddenly the, the giant ball, where in the world do you get one of those things? It's just huge balls of dirt that's going to crush him in stone and he has to run and jump. And I mean, you're just into the movie already. And then there's the snake in the plane. Oh, I hate snakes. Um, and then there's the Lion King. You remember Lion King, the circle of life? They don't like, yes, they have this, ah, moment. They don't save the best song for the end. It is at the beginning because it pulls you in. Now, as we think about that, those thoughts, as we get ready to tell the greatest story ever told, the story about our Lord and Jesus, how does the writer Matthew, how does he tell this great tale? How does he suck us into the awesome drama that's about to unfold? If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we will read and, 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 and figure this out and just get, just get ready to get pulled into the beauty of the story. Here it is. You can catch up with me. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez, said Sarah and Sarah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, I said it better earlier, Aminadab, 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 the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been born, who had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Good name for you if you're looking for a name. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, another great name. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And it goes on and on. Now, some of you are saying right now, this is why I don't read the Bible. I can't even say the names. And you probably, if we could confess today, you would say, I get to these sections and I'm like, Skip, skip, flip the page, flip the page. And you realize that if you did that in the Old Testament, there'd be a lot of page flipping, right? Yeah, we get that. We feel that. And we sense, you know, why in the world would anyone start off this epic tale, this epic, great, true story like this? Now, does it, this, this might help you along in your, in your Bible reading and, and as your, in your devotion life. When you come to sections like this, Here's a great question to ask. Why? Why in the world did he do this? Why would he do why would he start off this way? Because there's always an answer to the why. And the why often leads you to deeper things. And I think God has some things for us this morning that we can find in the genealogy that I believe uh, are some truths that, and, and things that are, are really going to help us this Christmas, I believe. So if we, if we start to dig deeper, we start to ask the questions and start to ask more and more questions. Well, who is this Matthew? He was Jewish, and he's writing to people that are are Jewish, okay? The people that are Jewish. So that, keep that in the, the back of your mind. So that's the audience that he's writing. 
And, and the, the things that we see, just right off the bat, what do we see in the first, sec, the first couple of verses? A record of the genealogy of Jesus, Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, we know those are two very prominent figures in the Jewish uh, world. David and Abraham are, were, were, were huge names there. And so that's a, that's a good start. Now, now, what do we know about these people? We know that they are people that are, are from covenants. So in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 3 says this. God's talking uh, with Abram, which is, became Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, I will be, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he makes this covenant with Abraham that you leave your father's house, leave your country that you know, and come and follow me, and I'm going to make you a great nation. Guess what? He did it. He did it. He goes and he makes another covenant. It's called the Davidic covenant, where he has this moment with David. David is about to become a king, and he's uh, getting ready. He's had this great battle. You remember David's son who slayed the giant. He does amazing things and great stories. He has this battle with Saul back and forth over who really should be the king. Saul's a not so, so not nice king. And finally, Saul dies, and king, and king David's getting ready to take the throne, and he's got all these plans. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the ark where, you know, remember the ark of the covenant? In Indiana Jones reference again, not like the movie. That's not a historically true movie. But the ark of the covenant where God traveled and lived in this, in this ark. Well, I'm going to take that ark and I'm going to build a temple. A beautiful, beautiful temple for this ark so that the Lord can live in this place. And, and we find out in 2 Kings chapter 7 that God had different plans. God had different plans. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 through 12. And I will provide a place for my people Israel. This is God speaking to David. And I will plant them so that they can have a home for their own, no longer to be disturbed. Wicked people will, will not oppress them any, any, anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time that I've appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you the Lord himself, will establish a house for you. When your days are all over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before you. Your throne will be established forever. Now, this is what he's saying. David saying, I want to build a temple for you. And God saying, I've got something much bigger in mind. I've got a huge plan in mind. In fact, the king, the coming Messiah is going to come from your line, from your household. That this king is going to reign forever. This is foreshadowing. This is if you're right if you're you're putting a movie plot together, this is foreshadowing of what's to come. Jesus. And people knew this. They were looking forward to this Jesus and they knew that it was going to come through this David. And there's references throughout the Bible. There's these little kind of previews of what's to come. So we see that through the, the genealogy, and that's what we see in this long list of names, that God keeps his promise. Okay, if you look at those names, go back to Matthew. I don't know if we can throw that on the, uh, the screen again, but there's these tons of names. And what these names prove to, the, to listeners and to audiences is that God keeps his promises. I told you that this king was going to come. I told you that it was going to come through David's line, and what does it show? all these different names, person after person. Who does it lead to? Who does it lead to in the end? 
It leads to Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. It leads to Jesus. God keeps his promises. And I don't know if you, you, we can really fully get that because it's a tough concept for us because we're not so good at keeping our promises. I mean, this is a tough one to really absorb that when God says he's going to do something, he does it. And he does it no matter how long it takes because it took a while to get to Jesus. It, it, and that's difficult. We're the people that when we see a speed limit sign, it's like, it's just 55. What does that really mean? That means 64, okay? Because we all know that 10 miles per hour will probably get you pulled over. But nine and not, you know, maybe eight, somewhere in there. I would, I would just tell you right now, five is a good number to stay at. But that's, that's who we are. I mean, we're like, that's kind of a suggestion, okay? That's not really something we should, you know, do. But God's different. When he says, this is it, this is it, okay? This is how God is. And, and there's a great verse in James that re- should remind us of, of the way it should be for us, that our yes should be yes, and our no should be no. So when we say, yes, I'm going to do this, no, I am not going to do this, we should hope, we should begin to build up character that people believe us, that people believe us. But unfortunately, it's hard, isn't it? When you look back, we're talking about family trees, when we look back in our own family trees, there's some people that haven't kept their word some people that haven't kept their promises. Their, their yes has meant, you know what, until I, I get a better offer. Their yes has mean, is really meant until things get hard. The yes is meant until something else comes along or someone else comes along. The yes is good as long as it doesn't cost me something. As long as it doesn't cost me something. A yes means as long as it doesn't mess with my agenda, my schedule, my ego, or my life. That's when yes works. And we have a lot of mistrust. I've talked to kids for, for years now, and this is a centerpiece, a foundational problem for, for kids. When, when they look in, into your eyes and you're trying to communicate a God that says he keeps his word, but they look back in you and they either say it in words or they say it in stories, I've never seen anybody that's done that in my life. All I have is examples of people that have broken their word. And they've said one thing, and they do another thing. Unfortunately, we're human, aren't we? We're human. We're not God. But we're thankful this morning that we have a God that keeps his promises. Let's read just a few of his promises. He's faithful even when we're not. He's faithful even when we break covenants. When we we break this relationship with God, he's faithful to forgive our sins when we confess them to him. And then he follows it up with this. There's no condemnation. If you confess your sins, if you make things right with God, if this is a heart change, guess what? There's no judgment. There's no shame. There's a future. There's a a beautiful, glorious future for you, for those who trust in the Lord. There's other promises he gives us. He promises to give 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 us wisdom. He promises not to leave us. He actually gives us this spirit that can live inside of us, that convicts us. It can guide us when we don't know what the future holds. It sometimes can hold us up when we feel like that we can't take another day. That's what the spirit does for us. He makes all kinds of promises throughout his word. And it gives us a promise that 
that, that he is going to be our God, and he wants to love us and to set us free and give us a whole new future, and he's making things right. Now, a couple of promises sometimes we get a little confused in. There's, a, um, there's one that we love to quote, and I, I've quoted many times, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's, it's probably a lot of your favorite verses. It's, it's one of my favorite verses. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to, to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for a, a hope and a future. Now, if we were to look a little bit closer at that story, uh, Jeremiah 28, the chapter before, there's an, an amazing story in the Bible about two prophets that get into a, a spat. There's nothing better than like prophets going at it, okay? That's like biblical uh, uh, WWF. Uh, but there's a prophet named Hananiah and then, of course, Jeremiah. And they're going back and forth. And basically what Hananiah says is this. We're in the middle of exile. The people of God have done a lot of things that have separated them from God. And God said, you know what? If you're going to chase after other gods, if you're going to disobey me, that I'm going to, to allow you to be captured. I'm going to allow you to be taken. I'm going to allow you to go to the, basically the results of your sin. And so they're headed to, in the middle of exile. And you know what this Hananiah does? He comes along and says, I've got good news, everybody. In two years, this all is going to be over. We're going to come back home to Jerusalem and things are going to be great. Now, I'm just throwing this out here. If I'm going to be a politician, this is the kind of promises you make, okay? It's over sooner than we think. It's coming. It's good news. Woohoo! two years. But that's not what God said. What did God say? Seventy more years. You're going to be in exile. Now, you're going to be away from your homeland. You're going to be uh, servants to other people as the results of your choices. But I'm going to be with you. And if you stay close and you, 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 you keep focused, it's going, to, it's going to take a while. In 70 years, guess what? I'm going to, we're going to return back home. And he gives us them, them this reminder. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And then he follows it up. I love it. If you seek me, you will find me. These are promises in the midst of dark times. But these aren't promises for like, this is going to happen right now on your timetable. And you know what happened to our friend Hananiah? God doesn't really like it when you just start putting words into his mouth. He dies pretty shortly thereafter. And what happens? 70 years later, as God said, on his timetable, they return to Jerusalem. I know the plans I have for you. Even in the darkest of times, I am going to be with you. But sometimes that's not on our, 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 our schedule. Let me, let me throw this out to you. What if God is concerned, more concerned with our long-term salvation instead of our short-term discomforts? Hmm. You see, David, he was thinking about legacy. What was he thinking about? I want to build a temple. What happens when you, you, you get to become king? You build stuff. You put your name on it. I built that. That's got my name on it. There's a library. Hmm. Then what? When you die, guess what? Hey, he was a good dude. He built a library. <laughs> he built a temple. But God wasn't thinking about personal legacy. He was thinking about eternity in the process. For Psalms 37, 3-7 says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to God, to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Wait patiently 
for him. But I want it now. I want it now. What does this say? Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust his way. Even when you don't know what the next step is, trust the Lord. Now, some of you are going to go, okay, I just saw, I saw that verse, and guess what it says? It says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. We love that part, don't we? We will get, whoa, 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 you get the desires of your heart. Well, what's the part in front of that? Take delight in the Lord. Make your ways my ways, Lord. Help me to see and seek differently. It doesn't say, give me the desires of my hormones. It doesn't say, give me the desires of my eyes. Give me the desires of what I think is success. Give me the desires of my heart. And when we delight in the things of the Lord, his heart becomes our heart. The beauty of, of God is that nothing gets lost in the ti- his timing. He's working it all out, a beautiful plan for all of us. And, and, and I believe that for you today. And what about that Abraham? Did he just know the plan in front of him? No. He said, go. I, I'm not going to map it all out for you, but I need you to trust me. And I need you to follow me. And that's God's promise today that he's going to take care of us if you would follow him. Love Christmas time. There's something I don't like about Christmas. That moment, and you're going to have to experience some of you today because there's a Christmas tree and some of you are dressed up. You're going to have to take family photos today. It's the worst. Like, I hate it. You have to get in front of a tree and everyone has to be in perfect place and everybody has to smile at the same time. And if you have three kids, that's very difficult. Uh, our family photos from a couple of weeks ago, uh, they just were a disaster, I'm not going to lie. Uh, we eventually settled on the one where one child is giving the, 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 the bunny ears. We're just going to go with it. We, went, we got professional pictures in our house with one of our kids like this, all right? You're going, to take, you're going to have one of those moments today, aren't you? You're going to have that awkward family photo. And to kind of alleviate that, that it can't be as bad, for those of you who have to sit through, I'm going to give you just a few awkward family uh, photos. That, the, that, the picture of that dad is exactly how I feel sometimes. <laughs> Please make it stop. <laughs> now, I'm going to guess that uh, the dad, this is the whole, the dad's idea here. I don't, I don't know what he's thinking there, but, but there you go. That's scary stuff. And then you've got this one. Uh, maybe these are ideas. Take these ideas, parents, and take pictures at your house and share it with all of us. Please do. Here's another one. Uh, <laughs> that's not even Christmas, but I just think it was, I thought it was hilarious. All right. Some awkward family photos. Now, I, I don't know who, if you're the person that loves those kind of moments or hates them, but, you know, we get together, and we have these, uh, these picture moments with family and things, and uh, one of my favorite movies, it's not, didn't make the top four, it's probably number five, is Christmas Vacation. Uh, Chevy Chase and crew, hilarious moments. There is a character that just, when he comes on the screen, I'm, he didn't have to say a word. I just immediately start to laugh. Uncle Eddie, Uncle Eddie, when he comes on the scene, you're just waiting for something to come out of his mouth that's going to be, fa- he, he's like that awkward relative that shows up uninvited, says the most awkward things imaginable, and you're like, oh, please, just, no, who invited that person anyway? Now, I wanted to, to kind of get us in that Uncle Eddie mindset of awkwardness, 
I want you to picture your family gathering in the next few days. Now, if you already have your family in, I pre-apologize for this moment that's about to happen. But imagine, if you will, everyone around the table, okay? Now, what is that one story that if you brought up would immediately get the kick in the shins, okay? It's like, this is the story we don't talk about, okay? We don't, we don't tell this. We don't tell the dog story, the throwing up, ha, 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 that's great. But this is the story that no one talks about, okay? We all know it's there, but we're not telling, okay? What is that story? Don't share it out loud. We're not sharing with the neighbor, okay? Some things we don't share in church, it's okay. But what is that one story that's like, Oh, yeah, we know, but, you know, I was at my, my grandmother's uh, funeral a couple weeks ago, and we were going through her house, and she collected so many pictures, tons and tons of pictures, I mean, tons of things in the house, and all these, these things you're going, why in the world did anyone keep? Uh, and we're going, and some of them are funny memories, some of them are just terrible hair pictures of, of Christmases like this for us, and then I came to a picture that I hadn't seen before. Um, it's a picture of my uncle. And he's, he's wearing, uh, my Uncle Leo, he's, he's wearing a, um, a sheriff's uniform. I, honestly, this is how much I, did, I didn't know about my, my family. He was uh, a part of the, the, the uh, he was a city deputy. He was a, part, was a sheriff in the, the department there in the city. And I, I recognize the scene from the picture. It's a scene back from the 60s. And uh, it's a scene from a bridge that looks like this. Now, in a couple of weeks, you're gonna, a movie's going to come out. And the name of that movie is Selma. That's where I'm from. And uh, it's, you don't want to talk about these things sometimes. But what I realized in that picture was this, if you don't know the story, uh, Selma, in the middle of the Civil Rights Movement, back in you know, March 7th, 1965, uh, there was an event called Bloody Sunday. 600 protesters that were peacefully protesting and, and marching to basically for voters' rights. Uh, for minorities, uh, we're, we're just walking, and they're about to cross this bridge, the Edmund Pettus Bridge there in, in Selma. And uh, the police, led by uh, the sheriff at the time, I'm, I'm going to have to find his name here, Jim Clark, uh, was there, and they, they basically lined up to, to basically stop this group. And amongst those, those folks, my Uncle Leo was there. Hmm. Not something you want to bring up, not something you're proud of at all. And uh, he was a part of the group that uh, tear-gassed and, uh, and, and beat protesters away with clubs and dogs. <laughs> you know, if you were writing a, a story, a genealogy, where you're, 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 you were paying historians, okay, you pay historians when you tell the story of kings and the story of, of great people to include the best parts of the story and leave out those stories that we don't want anybody to know about. And so when you look at the genealogy of Jesus, this is what really jumps out to us. Because you see, Matthew doesn't just tell the best parts of the story. He doesn't leave out the people that we're afraid to mention. There are some really uh, some interesting characters in, in this story. We're just going to name a, a few of these that if you were looking back at Scripture. There's, there's Jacob. Remember Jacob? He's in, he in that line. He deceived his brothers and stole his brother's birthright. There's Judah. It's interesting that you would just suddenly put this little tag in there. Judah and his brothers. Now, why would he include that? We remember back to the story. 
Who was Judah? Judah was the oldest brother of Joseph. Judah was the one that orchestrated the plot to not have Joseph killed, their brother. Remember the coat? Didn't, didn't have him killed. We're going to sell him because killing him doesn't get us any money. Okay? So that's Judah. So he sold his brother into slavery, lied to his father. So Judah and his brother. This is in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a part of his family tree. And, and what's the next line? Perez or Perez, however you want to say it, uh, depending on the, uh, the Bible announcer, that the one that I was listening to on my phone last night, it was Perez. Uh, Perez and, and, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Okay, now why would they include that random thing? First of all, never include women, okay, back in the day. Women don't count. I didn't say it, they believed it, okay? Back then, seriously, women were not counted. And so if a good Jew was reading this, the table would be flipped. You're like, what in the wild world of sports is going on here? There is a woman's name in this genealogy? And, and what is the story of Tamar? Do you know that story? This is like straight out of days of our lives. I mean, Judah, remember our friend Judah? He's the bad guy that sold his, his, his uh, brother into slavery. What does he do? He's got a, an oldest son named Ur, strange name. Ur needs to be married. He finds a suitable mate for Ur, and this is Tamar, okay? So Tamar was his daughter-in-law, okay? One day, Ur does horrible things. He's an evil person, God Let's him die. And tradition would have it that if you have a daughter-in-law, if, if, if you don't have a husband back then, then you don't have a way of support or life or whatever. And so you're promised to the next brother in line. And so that's exactly what Judah does. He says, okay, uh, Tamar, you are now the wife of the next brother in line. Okay, well, that brother was evil too. Kind of goes down the family tree. He was evil as well. And he died. Well, the tradition continues to the next brother, where Judah says, hey, uh, I'm kind of picking up a pattern here, and maybe the pattern is, is you. And so what he says is this, Tamar, I know that this is what we should be doing, but you know what? I think you should go and you mourn at your father's house. And you wait, and when my, my next son is, is ready to be married, then, then you, can, you can have be married together, and you guys can live happily ever after. But he had no intention of doing that. In fact... His plans were the complete opposite. And Tamar knew this. And her future was basically riding on whether or not she was going to, to be married and, and, and to be able to, to have kids and have a son, to, to pass on uh, the family name. And so what does Tamar do? She takes off her, her clothes of mourning and she replaces them with the clothes of a prostitute. Veils herself, goes down to the place where prostitutes hang out, and what happens? Judah comes in for a celebration. His wife is now deceased. He has a little too much to drink, and guess who is right there, and he doesn't realize it. He has an affair with his daughter-in-law. He, he sleeps with this prostitute that he doesn't know is his daughter-in-law. I know. You're going like, is this in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible. Genesis, chapter 38 through in the 40 area. Check it out. <laughs> so what happens? Doesn't know it's her. She says, you know what, you can pay me later, but can I, I need some kind of a, a, a sign that you are going to pay me, and so I'm going to take your staff, okay? I'm going to take your staff. 
And so he goes home and he sends a goat, which is the payment for such acts back then. And uh, the, the staff was supposed to come, but they couldn't find this woman. So what happens? Tamar puts her, her clothes back on, her, her mourning clothes back on, goes back home. Guess what? She's pregnant with father-in-law's babies, plural. And uh, when finding out that she's pregnant, what does Judah, this upright and righteous man, do? According to the law, she needs to be burned at the stake. Bring her out and burn her. And this is about to happen. And guess what? Right before she's taken off to the executioner, she sends the staff and these other belongings of Judah and, and, and says, the person whose uh, babies these belong to, the staff belongs to as well. And suddenly Judah realizes what has just gone down. What a story. This is in the genealogy of Jesus. He includes it. He includes it. And a great line from Judah afterwards, this woman is more righteous than I. There's, there's other people in this story. There's Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. Remember, the spies were coming into Jericho, and who would hide them out? This Rahab, who is now the great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus. And there's another great woman that's mentioned, Ruth, who's a wonderful story about, about faithfulness. Then you have David, who was the father of Solomon, King David. And then they include this line, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, this is really a story we're just like, okay, why are you telling this, Matthew? This is not what we talk about. You remember, you remember David had an affair, had the wife's husband killed so that he could take her as his wife and not feel bad about it? This is in here. This was the man that was called a man after God's own heart. And then there's, there's tons of others. There's Uzziah, who was a good king, but then he became prideful. And uh, due to his pride, he gained leprosy. Then was Hezekiah, who was an amazing kid, king, but then he, he had a son, a Manasseh, and he was the worst king. He actually had his child sacrificed to, to pagan idols. That's our, our friend Manasseh. So why would Matthew, the tax collector, the director, the writer of this story, include these, these pictures from the past? Why? Because Matthew knew, and he witnessed firsthand, that this is precisely why Jesus came. This is exactly why Jesus came. He's giving us a preview of the gospel. That these names and these stories, these Uncle Eddies, these are exactly why Jesus came. And Jesus came for Matthew as well. Who was this Matthew character? Was he an upright Jew that, man, this is a guy we all respect and know? What's a line that we hear a lot of in the gospel? Tax collector and sinners. We just put them all together. Tax collector and sinners. Okay, And Matthew was one of those people. All throughout the stories, these are outsiders, these are liars, these are murderers, and they're even Gentiles in this list. You know who the Gentiles are? Those are the people that are not us, okay? They are in this list. And God includes the Uncle Eddies in his story of grace as well. You know, and the last thing I want us to, to kind of to, to see in this story, this genealogy, is a thing that I, I think, a characteristic you, you can't miss about God throughout his story and throughout the genealogy here is this. God loves curveballs. 
He loves to throw curveballs, things that you don't expect, things that you're looking for, and something else comes. And I love that about movies. I'm the guy that loves to figure out the movie, okay? I'm in the middle of a movie theater. I'm like, okay, this is going to happen. No, 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 this is going to happen. No, she did it. He did it. I'm trying to figure it out, okay? And I know that Melanie can't stand that because I'm constantly bumping her the whole time in the movie. This is coming. Get ready. She did And I've learned that, you know, a good director, what does he do or she do? They always put the person that you're least expecting to be either the murderer or the hero. It's like that's the curveball. That's the thing in the movies. We know that. I mean, if you've seen any movie like M. Night Shyamalan movies, that's always his, like, there's like this twist that you're like, I didn't see it coming. He's been dead the whole time. Bruce Willis, Sixth Sense, if you're not with me. Um, he's, he's been there the whole time. And so he built this reputation of being like the guy that could like totally turn the story around. And you're like, whoa, whoa, I didn't see it. You didn't see it. That's God's move. Okay, he's got one really, I mean, he's got lots of moves, but I love this one. This is the, the cool, cool move that he's got. It's always the person you don't expect. Okay, let's take one little skip back in history. David. This whole story is built around this David. It's going to come through your line, remember? Everything's coming through your line. The king is coming through your line. This Messiah is going to come through you. Who is this David? Who is this David? The prophet comes to town and says, there's going to be a king. Jesse, he's in the story as well. What is Jesse? Jesse, one of your sons is going to be the the king over all Israel. And, And what does he do? He lines up his sons and he says, Nope, 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 not you, not you, not you, not you. Is this all your sons? He didn't even bring David out in the lineup of hopefuls. He's still out in the fields, because why? He's just a shepherd boy. He is just the shepherd. And who is the one that God chooses? The one that doesn't even get lined up. The one that doesn't even get lined up. Now, I've been picked last before, but I've always been in the line, okay? (laughs) I've been in the line. And this is the great thing. I, I love that moment. If you haven't seen it before, it's just the kid that always gets picked last gets picked first. Have you ever seen that moment for a kid? Me? Me? Are you talking about the other Matt or the Matt with an H? Are you sure? That's this moment. That's God's big move, and it's a great move. It's a great move. Think about it. What does he say? At the very beginning of the story, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the where? The pasture. You were out with the sheep. You were in the pasture, tending flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. Now, who in the world does this story end with before we get to Jesus? It ends with a woman named Mary, who was a young teenager that no one saw coming. No one saw coming. It's a girl that she's just Mary. She's just Mary. And who does Jesus deliver his message of hope and grace and through this world through a girl named Mary? And it's a beautiful story. She even sings when she finds out the truth. And we see this in Luke chapter 1. And uh, Garen, you can, you can come. Luke chapter 1, 46 through 52 says this, My soul glorifies the Lord. This is Mary singing when she realizes that she's carrying 
the Savior, the Messiah. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations, for the mighty one has done great things. Well, call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to who? To those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. This is a story about grace. And so this story is for everyone. One of the lines that, that I've heard a lot when I'm talking to people, when I'm talking to students, when I talk about God's love for us and this story, but you don't know. You, you don't know what I've done. Pastor Matt, you don't know what I've thought. You don't know what I've said. You don't know where I've been. You don't know who I've hurt. <laughs> but you don't know my God. That's what I want to say. Because that's exactly who our God is loves to pour his if you're in that spot today man that is where God does his best work that is where God does his best work and he uses those people and he uses Uncle Eddie's and he uses those who have been in the church all their lives and he uses people who this is your first Sunday and we're so glad that you're here he includes us all in this story it's a beautiful one there's this place that I'm trying to come up with a name for. I don't know what the name is yet. Maybe you can help me out. I'm going to call it the sweet spot. Now, on one extreme, we've got this place in life where you've got it all figured out. And we get to this place where you don't need anybody's help because it's all about you. And you're just an egomaniac. And maybe you've been there before. I've been there before. That this is just, huh, I don't need anyone else. It's a lot of pride. And it's a lot of me, me, me. And then there's this other far end of the spectrum. And it's this place of constantly head down. Woe is me. I'm, I'm never going to amount to anything. God can't forgive me. I, I'm just... And you live in this place of defeat all of the time. And you just... That just kind of just ripples through your life. Living in the past. Living in the... the what happened before or what someone did to you before and then there's this sweet spot right in the middle and this is this place where God's grace and humility come together and you realize that there is nothing that you can do there's absolutely nothing you can do it's all because of God's grace and you are confident that you have been forgiven and that God has set you free and you can walk in that confidence knowing that, hey, I don't know what the future holds, but I trust a God that has forgiven me and has set me free. And I trust a God that does the impossible. And I find that place to be very evident. And I'm reminded of it every time when I hold these elements. Because when we hold these elements, when we take a piece of bread and we take a cup, we know this. This is what God did for us, and we could not do for ourselves. And if you think you could, you are way over here. 
This is a place of grace. This is a symbolic of his love for us that started in a manger and ended on a cross, but it didn't end there. It came when he was risen again on three days later. But you also have to be confident that he keeps his promises. That when he says that he forgave you, that he forgives you, that he did. And so today we come to the table and I invite you to come. Um, and the way we, we, we serve communion in our church, if you're, you're new, it's by way of intention. There are cups at these tables. There are six stations. You don't have to be a member of our church. You just have to be a believer in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. You'll come to a table and you'll take a piece of bread and you'll dip it into the cup and then you'll take it. And what we're going to do today is we're going to pass this grace on to others because that's, that's what Jesus does. He gives grace and he calls, it, calls us to pass it on, to pass it on to the people that you're going to come in contact in the next few days, to pass it around to friends and to family and to loved ones. So we're going to play some music and you can come to any station that you want and you're going to take communion this morning and be thankful for what God has done for us. I know it takes a little longer, but uh, I think it's one of the coolest things we do. If not the coolest, to pass on grace to one another, the grace that we've received. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. Lordy, thank you that you are a God that didn't just sit on the sidelines, that sit far away and watch us. But Lord, you are a God that came and, and were living amongst us. You were there with us. Emmanuel, God in the flesh. You came in the most humble place, a manger. And eventually you would die. And Lord, you would be risen again, Lord. And we are so grateful for your grace today. We thank, we're so thankful that you're a God that would love us that much. God, sometimes, it, sometimes it's, it's just hard to believe. It's hard to believe we have a God that would, would sacrifice his own son so that we can be set free. God, I pray that you would help us to accept that today, to believe your promises, to believe your word today, God. Lord, I pray for those in this room that are, are still in their mind saying, but you don't understand. Oh God, I pray that your peace and your truth would just, just overwhelm their hearts and their, their minds today, God. God, help us to trust you. Help us to delight in you, God. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be shaped in the things that, that you love. And God, I pray that you would help us to follow you, God. Lord, I be with us as we gather with family and friends. And Lord, I pray that the, the grace passing would not stop here that we, we continue to pass it as we meet with each other in the next few days. Lord, as we get ready for another year, Lord, we would pass that love and grace that we've received onto others. You were good. Amen. In, in just a few days, um, the climax of the story will happen, Christmas Eve. I know for kids, for me even, um, those feelings of just, it's here, it comes. 
I love Christmas Eve and the memories that, that come with it. I want to invite you to make another memory with your family, with your friends, with your church family, with us. Come on Christmas Eve. Our service um, starts. We're going to have cookies and, and hot chocolate right before the service. And uh, 5.30, be here. If you want your kids to play the bells, come at 5. And, and we'll practice with them. And then they'll get to play in this really special service on Christmas Eve. What I love about Christmas Eve is that God has come. Emmanuel has come to live among us. Hear the word from Isaiah. And I hear Handel's Messiah in my head as I, as I read this. And this is what it says. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so it is my prayer that this week you will go and you will share that peace with others because just as you shared communion with each other, that's what we're to do with the world is to share that peace. He is our Prince of Peace. Go in peace to love God and serve others. We're dismissed.